Hey y'all, my name is Eric. I'm the lead pastor at Emmanuel and Hookset. I want to thank you for listening to our podcast. Our goal is to be a blessing to everyone who listens as you continue on your journey of faith. It's also our hope that you'll be encouraged to find a church to belong to so you can plug into that congregation and bless others with the gifts and experiences that God has entrusted you with. Well, I hope this podcast is a blessing to you and encourages you to get out there and be the blessing. God bless. Well, we are in our second week of a sermon that I usually preach once a year. It's different every year, but bless God, bless others, be the blessing. This is the spiritual DNA of Emmanuel. This is who we are. It's what drives everything, and it has for several years. In fact, all the way back to the very beginning, uh, the founding of our church, which which, uh, we usually celebrate third or fourth week of June, uh, the, the motivation for Emmanuel has been caring for others. I still remember Pastor Z, our founding pastor, he had these little gray handouts printed up in the front of the handout. It said, we care, and on the inside, it was just information about our church. But that was a driving force, being the blessing, going all the way back to the very beginning. And I want to just kind of talk briefly about this, this, uh, this motto this morning, kind of review a little bit of last week. If you weren't here, if you're tuning in online, you're wondering who Emmanuel is, this is who we are. So turn to John 1 John chapter 4, verse 17, and uh, mostly back in the saddle, so this is on the Bible app. If you have the Bible app by version, and you go to events, you should be able to find our church under the events page, and um, click on that. You'll see a whole bunch of churches there. Make sure you click on the right one, Emmanuel Baptist Church. Otherwise, you'll be going, he's not following his notes. What's going on here? Uh, And you'll be able to follow along. I've put the scriptures in there, some headings that you can take your own notes on, and I hope that you'll do that. So let's, let's start reading in 1 John 4, 17. Love has been perfected among us in this, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment, because as he is, so are we in this world. That's my life verse, folks. That's the life verse of Emmanuel. As he is, so are we in this world. And that's visionary, and it's also purpose, right? This is our purpose. It is what we want to do. It's our mission to bring Christ to those who don't know him. But it's visionary because it's also an ideal. We haven't reached it yet, have we? Are you always like Jesus? Anybody raise your hand. You're always like Jesus. Uh, And your spouse is going to say, yeah, no. Right? So it's visionary in the sense that we we are still arriving. We have not yet arrived. But we don't stop there. We go on and we read verse 18. There's no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear because fear involves torment. But he who fears has not been made perfect in love. And, and I believe this is directly speaking to the verse prior, contextually speaking, it's talking about the day of judgment. He's not saying that you're never going to have fear of over anything in your life. That would be counterproductive because God gifted us with fear in a, in a sense that if you see a grizzly bear who's really ticked off and he's running at you and you're like, I love this bear. 
have no fear, and then he eats you. Right? So there's a healthy fear, and then there's an unhealthy fear where God says, fear not, fear not, fear not. Right? And so he's here, and this specifically he's talking about judgment because the verse prior he says you can have boldness, you can have confidence in the day of judgment. And this is why. Because you have experienced perfect love. And perfect love casts out fear because fear involves torment. He who has fear has not been made perfect in love. And then we see the anchor, the foundation. We love him because he first loved us. This is the driving force behind our model. It's the driving force behind everything in a Christian's life is experiencing the love of God for yourself in a personal way. If you have not experienced the love of God through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, that is the very first step you need to take today. I wouldn't put it off. Don't wait for your feelings to catch up. If God has convicted you that you need forgiveness of your sin, that you're sick of living in it, and that you want to walk in a new life, you want a new way, God is offering to you that new life in the person of Jesus Christ. His death on the, on the cross and the blood that he shed, and then his resurrection. And if you will put your faith in Jesus and ask him to be your personal savior, that's the very beginning of God's blessing to you. Matter of fact, Jesus is the greatest blessing mankind has ever received or the greatest blessing that's ever been offered. I hope that you'll receive it today. We start with God's blessing us, and then from there, the natural response to being blessed by God is to bless him back. And that's where our motto starts, bless God. We, we bring a smile to the face of God. When we, when we uh, decide what we're going to do as ministries in the church, and we decide what we're going to do personally in our personal lives, You've got decisions to make. A great question to ask is this, will this bless God? Will this bring a smile to my Savior's face? Will this honor my Lord? Those are great questions to begin with. Uh, And then there's a lot of different things we can talk about discerning the will of God later, but that's the first one. Am I going to bless God by this action, by this activity, by this behavior, by this attitude? Will that bring a smile to his face? The second part of our motto is bless others, and that's all about the family. Today, if you've been coming for a while, or if this is your first time, and you're like, I want to know more about Emmanuel, I'd like to be a member of of Emmanuel, or at least find out whether or not we're a good fit, or if God's calling me here. Today, after the service, right around noon, you can get your kids and do what you've got to do, right around noon, we're going to have a membership meeting, new member meeting. So if you haven't officially joined Emmanuel yet... Uh, whether you've taken Discovery 101 or not is irrelevant. You want to join us, you want to join us right up front here, uh, and we're going to go over some things, introduce you to our leadership, and talk a little bit more about bless God, bless others, be the blessing. But bless others is about the family. Now to me, and I believe biblically, your church is your extended family. It's your extended family. Um, the Bible routinely calls those who are saved brothers and sisters, right? And so we are family 
in this place. And, and listen, there are other churches around us that are filled with believers in Christ. I, I, I kind of think of them as cousins, right? I got some cousins I hang out with there. But that is not my right here immediate church family. God wants you to belong to a local family, a family that can challenge you and encourage you and hold you accountable, a family that can bless you, and not only that, but a family that you can bless. We shouldn't be coming to church just looking for what we can get out of it. There's a lot of people, that is their motivation, is what have you done for me lately? Folks, that is not Christianity. We should be coming to church saying, what can I do for you lately, right? How can I be a blessing to you? When we come into these halls and we walk through this building and we see each other, I've challenged you in the past and I'll challenge you again today. Would you really look at each other? Really look at each other. Something God's been pressing into my heart lately is the need for fellowship with the family. Folks, coming into church, hitting the door before you have a chance to stand and talk and maybe sit down and have a coffee with someone, that's not enough of the family. You ought to come to church planning on staying after and talking to people and seeking out someone that might need a a minister moment because we're family. You ought to be part of our Bible life circles. That's where we get to know the family even better. When we, when we sit down in a circle uh, and we discuss the Word of God and we discuss how it applies to our life and what we're going through. And uh, one of the greatest testimonies I've heard recently was, was uh, from a man that struggles a little bit with reading and uh, had, had struggled to stay in God's Word and study God's Word. And, and the testimony that he, he shared was this, was that being in a Bible circle has opened up his understanding of God. Because he's able to sit with others whose reading comprehension is greater and then discuss on a personal level how God is working in their life, who God is, what his character is, what his personality is. And this has deepened his roots. Bible life circles are more than just sitting down and studying the Word of God. It's blessing those who are in the circle with you. Right? It's connecting with others. The family is bless others. Being the blessing, being the blessing is taking it to the streets, is taking it outside the walls, is the great commission as it's called in Matthew chapter 28. It's going and making disciples. It's sharing your faith. It's taking an invite card, right? We have these invite cards out back and, and um, there's some of them are square, some of them are business card size. Grab a stack with you. Leave them at a restaurant. When you start talking to somebody, you might be a stranger. Maybe take it out and say, hey, I want to invite you to my church. It's knowing how to communicate your story of faith to someone else. Because the greatest blessing mankind has ever received is the blessing of Jesus Christ. And when we say we want to be the blessing, we want to take the blessing of Jesus Christ to those who do not know him. That's why we support missions. That's why we're supporting the Lifehouse, right? That's why we have the food pantry downstairs is we want to be the blessing physically, but we also want to be the blessing spiritually. Thank you, Lord. Speaking of which, 
we had a missionary here just a few weeks ago. Do you remember Hildago, Brother Hildago? I would like to vote on whether or not we should take him on. We have the finances, and if you want to increase your giving to take on missionaries and to support the mission here, certainly I hope that you will do that. But if you're in favor of taking on Brother Hildago, would you just raise your hand and say, all in favor? Raise their hand. Are there any opposed? Praise the Lord. I can email him. Yeah. Listen, this guy is awesome. He is, he is going to do great things. He already has been. Uh, he is an atheist, if you weren't here, an atheist that found Jesus the hard way. Uh, you ought to go back on, on our YouTube page and find the sermon that our brother did. I think it'll be an encouragement to you, especially those of you that are dealing with people in the world who are so anti-Christ. Um, his testimony will build your faith as you deal with people that are struggling with believing in God in the first place. So now we're going we're gonna to ta- deviate from bless God, bless others, and, and we're going to look at this acronym, kind, impartial, devoted servant. The next four weeks, we're going to talk about these four words. Uh, and they're actually teaching the same thing over in kids' worship. So Brian is teaching on kinds today, and the idea behind the acronym is to give us something that we can grasp as we seek to follow Jesus, all right? Because Jesus is, he is kind, he is impartial, he is devoted, and a lot of people miss this, he is a servant. He said, I haven't come to be served, but I have come to serve. Folks, we ought to to take on that nature, I'm not going to jump on serve today, but this is the personality of Christ. And of course, he's more than these four words, but we're just going to take a look at these four words. And this morning, we're going to take a look at the word kind. We're going to ex- examine what this, this word kindness means. Well, kindness is more than just being nice. It's more than niceness. Now, certainly, being nice is incorporated in the word kind, but it's, it's more than just Just being nice, I want to take a look at Jesus again. I thought I would use this picture because it made so many people uncomfortable last week, including me. Like, I was like, I don't think Jesus was that good looking. Uh, But really, the biggest part was he's just a guy. He's a human being. And I think we miss out on that aspect of our Savior. He was all God. And without that part of him being all God, we don't have salvation. We don't have redemption. But he was also all man. And without that humanity in Christ, we don't have salvation. We don't have redemption. In fact, without the humanity of Christ, we don't have a personal connection to God the Father. Because we can't comprehend God the Father. And so when he came in the form of Jesus, when God came down, took on human flesh, we had the ability to connect to God as, a, as mankind had never had before. All God, all man, Jesus is kind. Now, I want the caveat here because as I mentioned, kindness doesn't just mean being nice, and it certainly isn't about being weak. Now, I may be speaking to the masculine side of the congregation today because sometimes we think being a nice guy, you're going to finish last, 
right? How many have heard that? Nice guys finish last. Some of us have this idea of being nice is not masculine. Well, Jesus was nice. I hate to break it to you, but if your idea of nice is passivity, to be nice is to be passive, you have the wrong idea of being nice. Nice doesn't mean that you're always passive and just rolling over and letting everybody walk all over you like a carpet. It's not weakness. Now, blessed are the meek. We, we've done a series in the Beatitudes, blessed are the meek. And I had to remind, again, mostly the masculine side of the congregation. And then, and some, listen, there's a lot of women that are very aggressive. And you think meekness is weakness. And we realize that meekness was not meek, was not weakness. It was the appropriate attitude and action toward others. Meekness is strength that is restrained and used well, right? Think about Jesus when he was in his father's house and there were these thieves and robbers who portrayed themselves as merchants, right? Selling goods to people coming in. And it wasn't about them selling coffee in the lobby, It was about them selling turtle doves and sacrificial animals at exorbitant rates to people who could barely afford them. And if you read the Old Testament scriptures, you find out that God used the turtle dove as an offering for those that could not afford the lambs and the rams and the goats. It was a way for those that were on the poor side of the spectrum to be able to offer a sacrifice to God. And here these people were in the temple selling these things at exorbitant prices. When Jesus came in, he was lit. Being kind doesn't mean that you don't get angry. And anger is not a sin. Anger that's unrestrained and out of control is a sin. It's wrath. But the anger of God is a magnificent thing. Read the book of Revelation. And Jesus walked into the temple and he threw the tables down. The merchandise is going flying. The the coins are going flying. And then he made a whip and he drove those people out of the temple. But Jesus is kind. He's just not passive. And he's not weak. And he acts appropriately at the appropriate times. You say, how is that Jesus restraining his strength? I'm going to just say Jesus is God too. He could have probably done a lot more than that. Okay? Let's, uh, let's go on. The New Testament Greek word for kindness is described as gentleness, goodness, but not just that, uprightness. That means righteousness, generosity, and graciousness. Now again, I want you to think about Jesus, the appropriate behavior. When a woman taken in adultery is thrown naked in the dust before him, her hair is plastered to her forehead from the sweat and the dirt, and she lays there on the ground and a crowd gathers and she's trying to cover herself and hide herself and she doesn't even dare to look up at her accusers because this woman knew, she knew, that the penalty for adultery was death. She knew it. And she's laying there in that dirt and she is trembling and she is afraid and she is just petrified as to what's going to happen next. She's waiting for the rocks to fall. 
And when we think of stoning, we think of just a little fist-sized rock. They're just throwing rocks at you. Anybody been bullied in their life and the bully was throwing rocks at you? It wasn't that. These stones were big enough to crush a skull, to break a bone. They were intended to kill. And Jesus was nice. Jesus was kind. He was full of grace and he was full of generosity toward this woman. And he looked at this woman, he scratched in the dirt, and then he he spoke up to the accusers and he said, he who is without sin, let him first cast the stone. And one by one, they dropped their stones and walked away. Now, you know who was without sin in that whole circle? The only person who's never sinned. Jesus was without sin. The only person that really could condemn her was kneeling on the ground with her. Such an awesome thing. Anyways, he was kind. He was generous. He was compassionate. He was loving. When we think of kind, I want you to have that in your mind. There was a gentleness to Christ. It was appropriate at the appropriate times. We move on. Take a look at Ephesians chapter number 2, verse number 1. And you he made alive. Now, the apostle writing this letter is talking to people who have experienced the blessing of God. He's talking to people who have trusted in Jesus as their personal Savior. If that's you this morning, he's talking to you, okay? Um, If you're still waiting this morning, can I challenge you right now where you're sitting Cry out to Jesus. Right in in your seat, ask him to be your personal savior once and for all to forgive you of your sin. And he will do it. If he did it to the woman taken in adultery, if he did it to another woman at the well, this woman at the well, she was a Samaritan woman and she was more or less a prostitute. She had at least five different men that she had been sleeping with. She was more or less a pariah in the town that she lived in. And he looked at her and he loved her and gave her the gift of salvation. Folks, if he'll do that for her, he'll do that for you. If he'll do that for Mary Magdalene, who was possessed, thoroughly possessed. It says she had seven devils. And often in the scriptures, when you read the word seven, it's the number of completeness or the number of completion. And here's Mary Magdalene, thoroughly, completely possessed. And I believe some of it was from her own doing and some of it was abuse foisted upon her. But she was a wicked woman and Jesus saved her. He saved her. He saved Nicodemus. Nicodemus was a good guy. Maybe you're sitting here this morning and you're thinking, I'm not that bad, I'm pretty good. Nicodemus was a good guy. He was a religious leader. And yet Jesus saved him because Nicodemus recognized that there is only one person who has ever walked the face of the earth with no sin. And it wasn't him. It was Jesus. Maybe the sin you're, you're stuck in right now is self-righteousness and you need a savior just as much as the prostitute on the street corner, just as much as the drug dealer on the street corner. Your self-righteousness is wickedness in the eyes of God. But Jesus will save you too. He'll save you too. I hope you'll ask him right where you're sitting. Don't wait. Don't hesitate. 
Trust in Jesus right now where you are. And if you will, this is what, this is what will happen to you. You, he made alive, who were dead in trespasses and sin, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience. Now you say, Pastor, I still sin, but you sin differently, or you should, than before you came to Christ. There should be a repentant aspect to your life, a daily repentance where you recognize that I have not walked in line with the will of God. There should be a daily confession in your life of those areas in which you have fallen short. Folks, those that are walking according to the course of this world, they're not approaching the throne room of God and saying, I need grace and forgiveness for the sins I've committed today. They have a different course. The Spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lust of the flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath just as others. But God, but God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ by grace, you have been saved and raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. When I talk to people about the security of your salvation, the reality of your salvation, spiritually speaking, you are in heaven with Christ right now. You can't lose it. You can't have it taken away. You are receiving the blessings even as we speak that in the ages to come, he has redeemed us so that in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace. What's the next words? In his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace, you have been saved through faith. And that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. That last part, by grace you are saved through faith. That not of yourselves, the gift of God, not of works. Those of you that are here and you're trying to earn your place in heaven, I'm talking to you. Your salvation, your place that's reserved in heaven, it's not reserved because of your effort. It's just not. The only thing you can do is cry out in faith to Jesus with a heart of repentance asking him to forgive you of your sin once and for all and to make you a child of God. Boy, I hope you'll do that. I hope you're getting a point. This is to the self-righteous right here. This is to the people that think they can earn a spot. You can't earn a spot. No one is going to approach the judgment seat and say, boy, aren't you lucky I got here? In fact, Jesus talked about this when he separates the sheep from the goats. You know, there's goats that preached in the name of Jesus, that did many wonderful works in the name of Jesus. Did you, did you know that? That they were going to approach the judgment seat 
and in this case, the great white throne judgment, to their dismay because they think that the works they have done has purchased for them a place. And the Bible says when Jesus looks upon him, he says to them, depart from me, for I never knew you. You may be doing things in Jesus' name, but if you don't know Jesus and he doesn't know you, you have no place with him. And those that truly know Jesus, listen, you know it's not about you. It's not your works. It's not your goodness. It's not your sacrifice. It's not your diligence. It's not your holiness. It is Jesus. Only Jesus. We go on. He says this in Titus chapter 3, verse number 1. Remind them, the church, new believers, to be subject to rulers and authorities, to obey, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to be peaceable, gentle, showing all humility to all men. We need that message today possibly more than ever. How we live our lives, if we want to be impactful for the cause of Christ We need to start getting serious about being the arms, hands, feet, heart, and mind of Jesus. We need to be serious about the attributes of Christ glowing out from us. Be ready for every good work. He goes on, to speak evil of no one, to be peaceable, gentle, showing humility to all men for we ourselves were once also foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving various lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. But when the kindness, there's that word again, when the kindness and the love of God our Savior toward man appeared, and here's the message again, in case you're sitting here or you're watching online and you haven't gotten the message yet, it's not about your works. It's not about your goodness. It's not about your righteousness. It's about the righteousness of Christ thrown over you, cleansing you from the inside out, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us through the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior, that having been justified by his grace, we should become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. And so I want to share with you this thought, okay? Redemption and kindness are interconnected graces. So when we think about the gentleness of Christ, when we think about the kindness of Jesus, the kindness of God that we've just read about, And the illustrations that I just shared from you from the scriptures, the Samaritan woman at the well, the woman taken in adultery, Mary Magdalene. When we look at these instances where Jesus deals with these people, what we see is a gentleness, is a graciousness, and a generosity. My friends, that is kindness. That is kindness, and kindness is interconnected with redemption, with forgiveness, with mercy. That's what it means to be kind to be merciful, to be graceful, to be gracious, to be generous. And yeah, there's some niceness sprinkled in there. There's the the gentle spirit of a loving God. Folks, (laughs) kindness is an action. 
It's not just an attitude. It's something that we both are and something that we do. In fact, we find that the Apostle Paul is on a roll. He's talking about the kindness of God. And then he challenges us. Put on, put on kindness. Now, kindness is also a fruit of the Spirit. And we're going to look at that in a moment. Uh, sometimes we think that, you know, we've been in the oven long enough and we've, we've cooked long enough and I am complete and finished and I have arrived. Well, we haven't arrived yet, honey. I know there's areas in my life, there's a lot of rough spots that God's still working on. And kindness may be one of them. And so the apostle here, God through the apostle, he challenges us and he tells us, put on kindness. He, where does he say that? In Colossians chapter 3 Therefore, as the elect of God, those that have been redeemed, forgiven, who wear the name of Christ, holy and beloved. By the way, I want you to understand that if you're here this morning and you know Jesus and you're questioning love in your life, know this, God calls you his beloved. And I put that picture of the waterfall and the mountains and those giant trees on there just to try to give us just a a tiny hint of the massiveness of the love of God for his children. Do you have that this morning? Do you understand, do you grasp how much God loves you? Folks, we all go through life and sometimes people, they, they do us wrong. They aren't Christians. They aren't always kind, are they? They aren't always gentle. They aren't always attentive. They aren't always generous. They aren't always graceful. Even in this church, I know it's hard to believe. But even in this church, we fall down. And that's why we are to have our eyes fastened on Jesus Christ. Hebrews chapter 12 teaches us that. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Folks, have your eyes fashioned on Christ. You may find that the love of Christ and the kindness of Christ pours through you and you begin to overlook those moments where your brothers and sisters are not as kind as they should be, are not as welcoming as they should be, are not as attentive as they should be, because your eyes are focused on someone greater. Well, let's go on. As the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on mercies, tender mercies. What's the next word? Kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering. Jumping over to Galatians chapter 5, 22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, is joy, is peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control against such there is no law. And those who are Christ's have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live in the Spirit, let us walk in the Spirit. Let us not become conceited. I've arrived, provoking one another or envying one another. And so, the challenge this morning is to put on, wrap yourself in kindness. You've got to be intentional about it. You've got to be intentional about it. Otherwise, the Apostle Paul wouldn't have called for us to put on kindness. Some of us in our humanity are naturally kind people, right? There's people that don't know Jesus. They're naturally kind. And in other words, they're gentle and nice. But what they're missing is the redemptive quality of kindness, that mercy and graciousness 
that willingness to sacrifice and lead someone to Jesus, that kind of kindness. Folks, we need to incorporate all of it. Some of us who are naturally kind in our flesh, we think that, hey, I'm kind, I've arrived, and you're leaving off one of the most important parts of kindness, that connection to mercy, grace, and redemption. It's not just about being nice. In fact, Jesus says, if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Don't even sinners do the same? So there's another aspect to kindness that we're going to explore in just a minute. But I want, I want us to camp on this idea. We are kind because he is kind. So we just went through several scriptures showing us the kindness of God, the kindness of Jesus. And then we heard from the Apostle Paul as God inspired him saying to us, now you, you put on kindness, the attribute of Jesus. Develop the fruit of the spirit of kindness in your heart and in your life. Why? Because he was kind. And one of the things that we're trying to teach the children uh, over in, in, in the other side is that, listen, they want to follow Jesus, and following Jesus means that we are becoming like Him. It's a lifelong pursuit. We are becoming like Jesus. And the Scriptures give us everything that we need to learn how to become like Jesus. And here is one. Intentionally put on kindness. It's a fruit of the Spirit. It's available to all who have called upon the name of the Lord. You might say, Pastor, I am naturally contentious. And we've got two people right now. And they both looked at me. <laughs> That's so hilarious. And they're both saying, where's your mirror? I know who I'm talking to. I had a nickname at work. They called me Irritable Eric. I'm like, That's not true. And it is. So I have to be intentional about putting on kindness. But you know what happens? After a while, because you have all the power you need to put that kindness on, after a while, it becomes part of your nature. Every day you're putting on kindness. Every day you're intentional. Every day you're thinking about Jesus and he was kind. I'm kind. He's given me the power to be kind. Holy Spirit, fill me. Guide me. Empower me to be merciful, to generous, and to be gracious toward those that, that are outside of my realm. And you'll find that it becomes a part of your nature. I want to take us to Luke chapter 6, speaking of that outside of our realm, outside of just our little clique, outside of our family, outside of ourselves. Luke chapter 6, verse 35 says, Love your enemies, do good, and lend hoping for nothing in return. And your reward will be great, and you will be the sons of the Most High. For he is kind, what is he? <laughs> he is kind to whom? The unthankful and evil. It's interesting how he connects those two words. Those of us that are not living grateful lives, we might want to reconsider how important it is to live a grateful life. This is what God has said. Therefore, be merciful just as your Father also is merciful. 
Again, that word mercy and kindness, interconnected, related, inseparable graces. And he goes on and he says this, judge not and you'll not be judged. Condemn not. Now he's making a clarification. Judge not and you won't be judged. Condemn not and you shall not be condemned. So he's, he's elaborating what he means by judge. He's not saying you can't look at something and say that's wrong to do. He's saying this, you can't look at that person and say, I condemn you. There's a difference between discernment and condemnation, right? You follow what I'm saying? We can discern right from wrong. We can discern that this is a group of people that they're going the wrong way, doing the wrong things. And so therefore, I do not want to join that group and participate with them because gradually I'm going to do the wrong things. And there's a difference between that discernment and condemning those people. Right? So we go on. And he says, judge not, you shall not be judged. Condemn not, and you shall not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Dude, this is motivation for you to live a forgiving kind of life. I don't know about you, but I screw up almost every single day. Anybody else like that? I need forgiveness from people around me pretty much every day. And so I find that it's really important for me to be a forgiving person because God has given us a promise, a principle here, that if we are forgiving people, we will be forgiven. In fact, he says, give, and it will be given to you, good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your bosom, for with the same measure that you use, it will be measured back to you. We're talking about forgiveness. We're talking about mercy. We're talking about grace. If you deal with others in a gracious, gentle, kind, loving way, you're going to find that coming back to you from people. If you're generous with people, and I'm not just talking about money and time, I'm just saying you're a generous soul. You give people mercy and you give people grace and you give people second chances and third chances and fourth chances. You're going to find that's coming back to you. And it's not just coming back to you skimpily. It's coming back to you in full measure. It's coming back to you in great measure. Folks, we need to get this idea of kindness down because it will impact our entire lives. Be kind to the un worthy. Be kind to the unworthy. Be kind to those who are broken, to those who are weary. Be kind. Be kind to those that are hurting. Be kind to those that are ready to give up. Be kind to those that have failed. And can I say this? Be kind to those who have failed you. There's no skin off my nose to be kind to someone who's fallen into sin, but it didn't really affect me. Doesn't bother me in the least. Oh, hey, God forgive you. But when they're failing and their falling impacts me, well, that's a lot different, isn't it? You know what that requires? I got to acknowledge it because you're all like, what is that? Those are the pitter-patters of God. It requires a God kind of kindness. 
when you're kind to the ones that have failed you, kind to the ones that have hurt you, not just kind to the ones that have failed. Both are necessary graces in our lives. In fact, we are kind because He is kind. And the kind of that kindness that we have experienced personally should motivate us to be kind to others. God demonstrates His own love toward us. Now remember in Ephesians, we learn that it's His kindness combined by His love. In that while we were still sinners, unworthy, ungodly, while we were still without strength, it says in verse 6, Christ died for us. His kindness was poured out on us when we deserved it least. That's what it means to be kind. When you look at people coming into this building and, and they don't say hi to you, be kind, be gracious, be generous with that person. You don't know what's going on in their lives. Sometimes people that are not saying hello or giving you a hug or whatever, sometimes they're in their head. Sometimes their mind is, is overwhelmed with the things that they're dealing with personally. And it's just, hey, listen, it's a victory that they just stepped in the doors of the church and yet they didn't say hi to me. <laughs> they, didn't, they didn't show me love. Well, it's your turn. That's why. When, when people aren't being kind to you or loving to you, gracious to you, what that means to you is that it's your turn. It's your turn. In fact, they probably need your kindness more than you will ever even know. More than you could comprehend. They're just overwhelmed. Folks, we, have, we are so quick to condemn others, aren't we? We're so quick to condemn. Instead of looking at ourselves and saying, oh, I'm supposed to be kind. I'm supposed to be loving. I'm supposed to look at that person and love them and make sure that that person knows that they are in fact loved. I just spoke with someone the other day struggling with guilt and sin. And they came to me and I said, I'm not your priest. I said, I know. But I, I hurt you. I failed you. And I said, I forgive you, it's over, it's gone, done. Folks, we've got to be kind to those that have hurt us. We've got to be kind to those that are hurting. We've got to be kind to those that are just keeping their mouth shut and their head down. Be kind. Especially if it's one of those gregacious people. You know the ones. They're always saying hi to everybody. They're always smiling. They're always going out of their way to be helpful. And that one comes into church and they're quiet, their head might be down, that person needs the love of God. This person that I was talking to, to tie it back to God's love, they were struggling with understanding and grasping the depth of God's love for them. 
And you know how they needed to see it? What they needed to understand God's love for them and his willingness to forgive them? Do you know what they really needed? They needed the person that they hurt to love them and to look at them and say, I love you. I forgive you. It's over. And God loves you more. Folks, we don't understand, I think, sometimes the power that we hold in other people's lives. We don't understand the impact that we make for God in other people's lives. I want you to sit there. I want you to think about that as we have our musicians come forward. And while you're thinking about this, one more time, one more time, have you been blessed? Do you know Jesus? Have you bowed your head and heart to God and asked him to be your personal savior once and for all? Hey, all thanks for listening to this podcast. If you'd like to know more, please go to our website, emmanuelhooksit.com, where you'll find helpful links and resources and where you can contact us directly. That web address again is emmanuelhooksit.com. Bless God, get out there, and be the blessing.